it's it is indeed great to see the church family together and all the conversations that you can finish after church. That's good. Yeah, that's good. I understand. I understand. Hey, um, my name's Carrie. This is my wife, Melissa. And um, as lead pastor and children's director of the church, we are so glad to be a part of this church family. This is family service day. And I don't know, can you explain this, Melissa? Why do we do this? We do family worship, is what we call it, and we do it on the fifth Sunday month. So not every month, but on a, sun, on a month that has five Sundays in it, we do it on the fifth Sunday. Several reasons. The first is because we as parents don't get to do worship together with our children. And um, it's a great opportunity for us to model what it is we're supposed to do and um, kind of etiquette and um, behavior in church, but also teaching them to um, love God and letting the kids see us love God Mm -hmm. through both worship and also listening to the message. We provide marker marker boards. Can you raise your marker boards if you have them, guys? And that is for sermon notes. So you can draw pictures of what you see and hear. You can write, if you're able to write words, you can write some words um, to, to uh, whatever's going on here this morning. And it's your way to, to um, worship through your marker boards. And if your parents take a picture, they can also um, text it to me or email it to me at melissa at theawakeningchurch.tv, and I'll put them on the uh, website. Facebook. Not the website, on Facebook. Yeah, that's cool. That's cool. Um, we, uh, I do want to encourage everybody to come tonight for the chili deal. Wow, Frank's into this. Was Frank into this? Oh. And uh, he's really a nice guy, I promise. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's fine. <laughs> That's right. Sorry, and Lori. So, and so we uh, we want to see everybody tonight, but uh, we will have an annual meeting. It won't be long, but just want to frame up some of the vision for the church and a little bit of a year in review kind of deal, which we have once a year in January. And we'll vote on the budget, vote on um, affirming um, the board members. And uh, even if you're not a participating member of the church, I want to encourage you to come and definitely stay for that part of it. Uh, There was one more announcement, though, that we get to make. I think you have some child activity tonight during the annual meeting part. But you got something else coming up here in a couple weeks. Well, during the annual meeting, um, the kids are going to meet in the entryway there. Um, we'll have some activities for them to do. But I am in need of some high school volunteers. Um, so if that is something you're interested in, please come talk to me. But coming up on Valentine's Day, um, who knows, kids, what date is Valentine's Day? February... 14th. Good. You cheated, didn't you? Yeah, that's okay. We are going to do a really, really cool kids event, um, a kids PJ party. So you get to come and dress up in your PJs. It's from 4.30 to 8.30. And the idea is mom and dad can either go out to dinner, go on a date, go see a movie, go home, and whatever. And... um, and the kids are going to be here. We're going to do, do all kinds of – you just got it, Cheka. Good job. Um, the kids are going to do all kinds of fun activities. 
Man, we got hecklers in the crowd today, honey. Uh, it's going to be a tough message time. Wow. Um, the kids are going to be doing all kinds of Valentine activities, games, and um, that kind of thing. So it's going to be a ton of fun. If you um, don't have a date and you love kids and you'd like to serve with Miss Debbie and I, <laughs> then you can join us as well. And they need to RSVP. Oh, gosh, so. yes. Please. RSVP. I've also posted it on social media, and if you will share with your friends on social media, it's open to the public. However, um, you truly need to um, RSVP to me because I find that when we open it to the public, um, people that don't attend our church RSVP very nicely. Um, but people that attend our church <laughs> kind of take a long time to get it done. So Melissa at theawakeningchurch.tv. The cost is $10 per child or $25 per family max, and that's just to um, buy the pizza and the supplies. <laughs> yeah. yeah, Tiff has a few. And it's for children ages 3 through 5th grade. And, again, we're looking for middle school and high school volunteers. If you are interested in um, helping us out, that would be awesome. So what happens over in the next building during uh, this time normally is, well, there's the preschool and the infants are over there, and that whole department is growing, from my understanding, and you're looking at maybe opening another class and needing some more helpers for that. So if you'd like to get your baby fixed or if you'd like to help with the little ones or be involved in elementary programming as well, talk to Melissa or Debbie Gibbler, who's in the back. There's right? Yes, and there's also an opportunity. We have a couple of opportunities to serve um, it during the week um, and not be involved with children. So if you have that opportunity, um, you know, if, it, if being with kids is not your thing, then um, serving during the week would be great. I also need front desk volunteers um, so that I can attend church every now and then. That's cool. Well, what they do uh, is they are continually, week in and week out, articulating God's story. The, the big, big God story, story. The big God story. All right? We are in a series, our second week of seven, uh, on the book of Nehemiah, which is an ancient book in the Bible. And so because the kids are with us, I thought we would sort of bring them up to speed about what we're doing with the story of Nehemiah. Now, this I know I'm saying is for children, but it's going to help you adults a lot get the big picture of the Nehemiah thing. So it's just a video clip that's going to take us into that. And then following that video clip, I think you've got a couple young people that are going to come and pray for our message and pray for our church. All right? So this is just a little bit of an engagement as we pull the kids in during this time. But I can tell most of you will walk around in here this morning and you won't remember what I say in the message, but you will remember this video clip and the big story of Nehemiah. Nehemiah. So part of God's story is about a guy named Nehemiah, and it goes like this. Remember God's family? They were called the Israelites because they lived in, you guessed it, Israel. But some of them lived far away from their home. And one of those guys was Nehemiah. He lived in Persia and worked for the king. One day, his brother told him that a city in Israel called Jerusalem was suffering. And many people there weren't following God anymore. And their city wasn't in very good shape. Nehemiah cried, God, you are wonderful. But your family's home is in trouble. Please help us. When I serve the king his wine today, make him pleased with me and have him do what I ask. 
later, when Nehemiah served the king's wine, the king noticed that Nehemiah looked sad. So the king asked why. Nehemiah told him about Jerusalem and asked if he could go back to rebuild the wall. The king could have killed Nehemiah for asking to leave. But instead, he said go. He even helped. That's because God heard Nehemiah's prayer and answered it. Anyway, Nehemiah went to work rebuilding the wall, but little did he know he was going to need to ask for a lot more help from God. See, God and his family have always had enemies, and these enemies wanted to stop Nehemiah and the people helping him. First, they made fun of them. So Nehemiah prayed again. He said, God, some people hate us. Please get rid of them, and went back to work. Now, God does hear and answer every prayer, but sometimes not in the way we expect or even in the way we want. And at first, it seemed like God wasn't answering this one at all, because when the enemy saw that Nehemiah was still building, they planned an attack. But Nehemiah trusted that God heard his prayer even if it didn't feel like it. And God did. He caused some people to overhear the enemy's plan and warn Nehemiah. Even though the enemies were still after him, Nehemiah planned a defense and told the others, Don't be afraid of your enemies. Remember the Lord. He is great and powerful. And on they worked, building, building, building. The closer the wall got to being finished, the more Nehemiah's enemies realized they couldn't stop him by making fun of him or by attacking him. Hmm, time for something else. They tried everything. They sent messages to get Nehemiah to leave the wall and meet them. He wouldn't. They hoped Nehemiah's hands would get weak, but Nehemiah had asked God to make his hands stronger. They even paid a priest to ask Nehemiah to leave the wall and come to the temple. But Nehemiah trusted God more than anyone else, even the priest, and he refused to stop doing the job God had given him. Kids, Are you willing to listen to God and obey him, no matter what? Well, finally, the wall was done. God's family got to go home again. And Nehemiah's enemies found that nothing stopped God's plans. The Israelites celebrated and praised God. And as they praised, they realized how much their sins had hurt God. And they felt terrible. They told God they were sorry and thanked him for helping them. Then they made a brand new promise to follow him. And Jerusalem was once again a safe place where people honored God. And that's the story of Nehemiah. But just so you know, there's another story where God fixes something that's broken. See, one day, God would send a very special rescuer, not to save a wall, but to save the world. He made it possible for not just Israelites, but everyone in the whole world to confess their sin to God, thank him for his rescue, and follow him. And just like that old wall was made new back then, our old lives can be made new right now because Jesus has rescued us. And that's a part of God's story. You can clap. (laughs) I'd like to invite Cameron and Landis up. Um, And one of the things I love about our children's ministry is that our kids truly do get to participate um, each week as they choose. Um, And um, when we ask for someone to pray, 
I, most of the hands, Frank, is this right, go up in the room. Most of the hands do because um, these kids love the Lord. And it's so important um, to teach them at such a young age who Jesus is and what the big God story is. They're a little bit nervous, but it's okay. Just pray as your hearts, like you would if you were in kids' ministry, okay? All right. Dear Father, I just pray for um, Pastor Kerry to get the words out to people so they can know God and they can have God in their hearts and learn more about God. And I just pray that we can have a good time at church and, and, and learn about God so much and learn about the God the big God story. Dear Lord, I pray that all the children that are here today learn more about God and that they will have a fun time in here um, and they will be able to learn about Nehemiah and they will be able to write something down on their board about what they learned today. Amen. And all of God's children said, Amen. Well, now it's going to be a big letdown. (laughs) I do believe that God has a word for each one of us not only this morning, but during the duration of this series. It's been my prayer that God would speak into our hearts as individuals and as a community. Because I believe what God did in the story of Nehemiah is something he wants to keep on redoing through every generation and every people that have a heart that are endeared to him. Last week we began and we focused on this whole idea that all of us, all of us somewhere in our life have come across a broken world kind of moment. And we gave the illustration in the broken world kind of moment of the Olympics last year when in the 5,000-meter run, there was a pack of women who were running for the gold. And in a split second, um, two of the women fell and everybody gasped. A gal from the United States, Abby, and a gal from New Zealand named Nikki. And the question was, oh, my goodness, what's going to happen? Are they going to be able to get up? Are they going to go and finish that race or not? And as the visual unfolded before that whole stadium in the world, they got up, they tried to help each other up, and somehow they made their way through the end of that race in part. But nobody remembers who won the 5,000-meter women's race this past summer, really. But they do remember these two ladies who fell, and they got back up. And it's a big-picture kind of illustration for us in our personal lives. All of us have had moments in our life that have been crushing. Our dream has been broken. They saw the pack running away. They knew that they would not win. But what would they do? Would they allow that brokenness of that moment to define them forever? Or would they be able to get up and try to make the best that they could in that moment? Because they had trained. They had worked so diligently. And so with that illustration behind, we come back to see that God sees his world having these broken world kind of moments. And God says to us in our broken world, 
whether it's a personal world or a community at large, nation at large, world at large, will you let that brokenness define you or will you allow me to bring transformation through that? And so we're talking about the whole concept of favor with kings, but it's the favor with the king of kings and the Lord of lords. What God wants to do in your life and in my life. And I don't care where you're at on the spectrum of your spiritual journey. Maybe you're a seasoned veteran and knowing how to follow after God and you have many broken moments in your life where you've seen God already work. Or maybe you're sort of a novice and trying to check the God thing out and you're not even sure that uh, God's really there or involved in your life. And this morning you'd say, well, I I can identify with the brokenness, but I don't know. I've just sort of been groveling there on the track a little bit. Wherever you may, may be at, God wants to bring his transformation into your life and my life and into our church's life. And last week we said there's two questions that we need to be answering. The question, first of all, is who am I? And second, what breaks my heart? Who am I and what breaks my heart? You see, Nehemiah was in a foreign land. Nehemiah was... Uh, a cupbearer to the king, which means he was a head of the security guard, and, and he had things that are going really well for him. He was uh, having a beautiful career, and it was one of those comfort kind of positions that he went and didn't want to see touch too much. But yet inside, he realized that he wasn't just this cupbearer to the king living in the Persian lands, that he was a child of God, a loved child of God, like we looked at last week. His Jewish ethnicity, he had come, not he himself, but his lineage had come from Jerusalem, from Israel. And so he never lost track of who his identity was. And in that identity of who I am, God calls us forward. And then his heart was broken. His heart was broken for his people back in his homeland. Why? What would he care about that? You know, have you ever been in that place? Like, well, why should I care about those people? Well, he allowed his heart to be broken for the things that God's heart was broken for. I want to give you just a little bit more background as it relates, just an overview, because I believe it's important for us as a church. You can just sort of blow through the story and not learn the context of Scripture. But as you learn the context of Scripture, it helps you know where to hang the stories at as you go through. We know that Israel, in its early years, came to a place where they wanted a king. And so God said, all right, I'll give you a king. And so they had three kings. The kings were Saul, David, and Solomon. It was a united kingdom. The 12 tribes of Israel were united. But then there was a split in the kingdom around 930 B.C. And that split, the northern part took on the name Israel, and the southern part of modern-day Israel took on the name Judah. Ten tribes went to the north. Two tribes went to the south. In the year 722 B.C., there's a group of Assyrians that came in. It was an enemy uh, group of people from another land, the Assyrian Empire. And they took over the northern kingdom. Northern kingdom was bad. I mean, we're talking bad. They didn't follow God at all in many cases. And they ended up becoming scattered into the unknown regions. In fact, maybe you've heard of the lost tribes of Israel. You ever heard of that? Those are the northern ten. They never came back into existence once. since. They were just scattered because of their disobedience to God. The southern kingdom had some good kings, they had some bad kings, but Judah hobbled along, and there were different uh, things that started to happen to them, though, from outside influence in 606, and then in 586 B.C., ultimately, they, too, were taken captive. They weren't scattered, though. They were taken, the majority of them, taken into uh, the Babylonian Empire, which is modern-day Iraq. But immediately as they were taken into the Babylonian Empire, the Persian Empire rose up. 
we have all this kinds of history going on in the Middle East, and it's been going on for millenniums, all right? And the Persians from the north coming down in Iran, they ended up taking over the Babylonians. And when they took over, they were much kinder to the Israelites who were now living in foreign lands because they believed that you could have various religions operating. And so they let them have their religion. But Nehemiah as a Jew, ancestry from Judah, had risen up and he had taken on this prominent position. But before him, there was a guy by the name of Zerubbabel. And Zerubbabel said, I want to go back and rebuild the temple that was destroyed. And so he went back. Ezra, he was there, and he ended up writing studies, Bible studies, if you will. And so Zerubbabel had the temple rebuilt. Ezra had the law restored. And then Nehemiah, God spoke to him about seeing the walls restored. And so that's sort of the context of some of our picture, looking back on the 70-year captivity and what God was doing to redeem that, that brokenness, that fallenness, you too in your life, maybe you might hesitate to call it captivity, but things have not gone well. In fact, there's a time you stumbled and you fell. You might still be licking your wounds. You're broken. Your whole future has sort of run away from you. And you define yourself not by how God sees you, who you are as a love child of him, but you define yourself by that brokenness. Nehemiah was willing to take on the burden of God to be able to work out what his purposes were. So this is how Nehemiah started last week. These are the memoirs of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah, in late autumn in the month of Kesla, which is early December, in the 20th year of King of Artaxerxes' reign. He was an emperor of uh, Persia. I was at the fortress of Susa, which is in um, Iran proper. Hananiah, one of my brothers, came to visit me with some other men and who had just arrived from Judah. I asked them about the Jews who had turned, returned there from captivity and how things were going on in Jerusalem. They said to me, things are not going well, brother. For those who return to the providence of Judah, they are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem has been torn down, and the gates have been destroyed by fire. So that's where we pick it up today, and this is the next verse, combined with the verse in chapter 2-1. Nehemiah 1-4 says this, When I heard this, Nehemiah, I sat down and wept. In fact, for days I mourned, fasted, and prayed to the God of heaven. And then 2-1. Early the following spring in the month of Nisan, during the 20th year of King Artaxerxes' reign. Now, what happens when God moves on your heart to break your heart to do something about some injustice or some vision or some dream that he's called you to do? What are you what are you up to do immediately after that? Is participatory. Kids are used to this. So when God tells you to do something, what you what do you do? It you you obey and you also be, pray. Well, those are all nice answers. I sort of set you up. What happens is when God breaks on your heart a vision and a dream to do something. You wait. That's what you get to do. You wait. And you're like, that's what I came to church to hear? That I get to wait? Well, you get to wait. It was six months after God broke on his heart to do something about this situation 
that he actually ended up doing something. Why does God call us to wait? Do this. I'm ready to go run and do it. And God says, wait. Why does God call us to wait? Well, because waiting time is not wasted time. Waiting time is not wasted time. When God's called you, moved on your heart to do something, to see something restored, something maybe built that's never been built before, he's going to call you into a season sometimes of waiting. But that season of waiting is healthy for you and I. Because God is ultimately, and you can write this down, he is more interested in what he is doing in you than what he is doing through you. God is more interested in what he is doing in you than what he is doing through you. And what he's doing in you and I during those waiting times is he's building character. He's calling us to himself more. He's allowing us to to hear his thoughts and his vision out. He's allowing us to become consumed with the burden. This burden will lead lead you to a place of sustained strength through the course of what he's calling you to do. Vision always precedes preparation. It's good to have the vision. But then God says, all right, I'm going to prepare you. Now, I don't, I don't care what age you are. You may be uh, a young kid today and God's calling you to de- do something in your family or with your friends or at your school Maybe to, to, you know, be an encourager to people, maybe to reach out. You may be a student this morning, and God's starting to work in your heart, some vision for your life. Maybe a college student. You might be a young adult, recently married, long-term married. Maybe you're a senior citizen, whatever category you want to sort of put yourself into. God is wanting to work in and through your life. But sometimes we say, I clocked in, I did my deal, I'm done. I'm out of here. God, take me on when it's time. God's not that way. Every season of your life, in fact, Melissa, when you were up here with these kids, I heard a story this last week of a pastor whose mom, uh, uh, mom and dad, they they had enjoyed so many years of rich ministry together, serving God, serving the church. And at the age of 90, um, the dad passed away, and here was the wife, and she was at, at loss what to do. All these years she had spent, with her husband, and now she didn't have anybody in sort of her context of saying anybody that I could really care for or thought that my life was important. And at the age of 90, she went back and recalled how she came to know Christ. And she came to know Christ in a children's ministry where someone taught her about the big God story. And she came to a place of placing her faith in Christ. And so she approached her son, who was the pastor of the church, and said, I think I want to build relationships with little kids again. Eight and nine-year-old girls. Because somebody did that with me, and I want to teach Sunday school. And he was taken back a little bit. He was like, can 90-year-olds teach Sunday school? <laughs> she jumped in. She helped support and teach, and she also ran a little group on the side. And her life became significant in that season by seeing young kids transformed at 90. I tell you what, if I'm at 90, I'm thinking like, I'm checking out, I'm good to go. Take me God, right? No. 
every year, every season that God gives you and I, he has a plan. He has a dream. He's calling you into something, whether to rebuild or to build anew. And you have to decide, are you going to take on that burden? And when you take that burden on, sometimes things don't like pop right away and happen. Maybe you got a great vision. I remember when I got the vision for my life, it was like the age of what, 28, I can't remember exactly. I had been doing a lot of ministry kind of things, but I didn't know how it was going to come together in one calling. And um, I had a heart for evangelism. I had a heart to see dead churches come to life. I had a heart for young people. I had a heart for urban missions. I had a heart for global missions. And when I went to uh, Fuller Seminary in um, January of 1989, that dates me, I know, a little bit. I sat in a doctorate of ministry class, and it was in that class, actually with an individual in that class who took us to an apartment afterwards because we were there just there for two weeks sort of doing some studies, and he shared his story, and that story captured my heart, and it started to see that I started to see everything could come together. That person was Rick Warren, and he shared the story of Saddleback Church, and I said, well, I've never thought about starting a church before, but I could start a church to be an evangelism platform and work from there and be able to serve God to reach people for Christ. I could raise up a church that wasn't a dead church, that was a live church. And, and it just like came together in January of 1989. Then what did I do? I waited. I waited. But I waited by engaging in the preparation of my heart and my mind and my skills. Remember writing the paper for that class directed towards if I started a church from scratch with no people, no building, and no money, where would I go? What would I do? How would I reach these people? Melissa and I got married in 91, which was a whole nother God thing. God, how are you going to work this vision out? Because here I was, 29, and still didn't have a spouse kind of idea, but God knew. We got married in 91. We started a church in 92, served that church for 20 years, in the Midwest, that church is now a thriving church. And I sit back and go, you know, it's true. Vision always precedes preparation. But there was a preparing of my heart that had to go on for me to understand what God was wanting to do in and through me. And a lot of it is changing who you are. God does not waste time. Waiting time is not wasted time. He is working in and through you. But this is my encouragement, is to get serious with God about whatever your heart's broken for. Get serious with God about it. Now, some of you are like, are we moving on? Because I don't even know what my heart's broken for. That's fine. That's what these weeks are about. But what is your heart broken for? We went around in life group this last week, and life groups I'm a part of, answering those two questions. Who am I? What's my heart broken for? And I can see the searching in our hearts and minds, and that's good. So I'm not trying to press you and, okay, now do this. But ask yourself the question, what is my heart broken for? And then when you start to begin to discover that, maybe it's something you're frustrated with, some injustice. Maybe it's tied into how you fell in life, some, some uh, fall that happened and some person hurt you, or maybe life itself just banged you up. Maybe some, something came out of that crucible of life. But it's there. What are you going to do with it? Get serious with God about it. When I heard this, I sat down and wept. In fact, for days, I mourned, fasted, and prayed to the God of heaven. So the mourning thing, spoke about that a little bit last week, but you mourn. 
you, you, you climb into the burden of everything that's represented there. We'll take up the pray thing next. You begin to ask God to strengthen you, to help you be in vision with what He's calling you to do. He is not going to abandon you if He's given you and birthed in you something. It was a big lesson for me because I'm like, well, you know, how's all this going to happen? And what's going to take place? God says, I'll be with you. I want to work in you. I want to work on you. Do not lose heart. Do not lose heart. I am going to come and I'm going to strengthen you and enable you to get at this thing for which I have placed on your heart. The story of Jesus um, in the New Testament of uh, He tells of a widow, uh, it was a woman actually, who she had had some injustice done to her. And so she went to the judge to see if the judge could give her some justice to change her situation. And after bugging the judge just a little bit, the judge says, I don't care about dispensing justice. Just leave me alone. Get away from me. And what the woman decided to do is I'm going to become this judge's worst nightmare. And so she says, I'm going to show up when he goes to work and I'm going to pester him and I'm going to bug him and I'm going to say, I want, I want justice. You need to operate on my behalf. You need to take this situation into your hands. She'd show up after work. She would do the same thing. And after a while, the judge does what? He says, all right, I don't give justice. I don't care about you, but I'm going to rule on this just to get rid of you and have it done. And that's the story. So what's the moral of the story? Keep pestering God and he'll do something, right? No, you need to know this. God is not somebody that you pester because God wants to operate on your behalf, but you need to get serious and you need to take that which is in the dark, in the closet sometimes, bring it to the light, use it in your prayer time, get some other people involved and say, this is a burden. How many times have you thought something, I could do this, but you've hesitated to tell someone because if you tell someone, then there's some accountability and you're going to look bad if it never happens, right? It's like, oh, well, I, I, don't know, I thought about doing this. We did, I'm just going to keep it quiet. And what happens is we sit on it. We sit on it because when we have to wait for it, we lose track of what needs to be happening. But if you take it to prayer, if you consistently in prayer with it, asking God to work, guess what? He gives you the why of what you're doing. Nehemiah. He started to put it all together during that time of prayer and mourning and fasting. The walls have to be rebuilt because the temple's there, but the temple's not functioning well because they're not protected from the enemy. The walls in that day gave you protection, all right? It all started to come together. And if that happens, then the people will be able to flourish. The people will be able to honor and love God. God will be glorified. It all comes together in his mind as he's waiting. This is the why. The why has to grip your soul. If it's just the what, then that can come and go. But if you keep it before God, the why, why? People's lives are at stake. Why do I want to start a church from scratch with my wife, have us work both bivocationally, stack our credit cards, and lead out? It's because people need the Lord, and they're lost. They're lost. I was tired of being a part of some dead churches, and I wanted to see it a live church. And it wasn't that the churches were bad by any means, but they weren't being relevant to the culture that I was in. And so God places this burden to start a church, and then I begin to pray, I begin to write, I begin to study, I begin to interact. And God begins to flourish the passion of the why. Same thing happened here 
some of you know I transitioned from that church after 20 years of seeing it grow into a multi-site church and things were happening really well. I'm like sort of sitting in comfort a little bit like uh, Nehemiah maybe was there in Persia in the palace with Artaxerxes and things flipped and changed. Before I knew it, I was looking for another season of ministry. But I was heartbroken. I'd fallen on the track. I was on the outside looking in. I could have just stayed on the track. I could have said, I did my 20 years of service. The church has grown. It's a great, thriving thing. But God said, no, I'm not done with you. I've got something else. And inside of me, it was really bizarre, really weird. I remember when I sat in office with my district leadership, and I said, all right, probably looks at maybe it would be best for me to transition. It really wasn't all that nice and that kind of thing. It was like I felt inside of me was this thing, jump, take a leap. I'm going to take you somewhere. And you know what happened next? I waited. I went back to my family farm, and my farm family farm is about 7,000 acres. I just immersed myself in what I did as growing up as a kid. But while I was farming for a year, God began to work in me the why. Why would I not be done? Why would you want me to do this all over again? You see, in the last Sunday that I was at at my church, some of you know this story, but I was standing worshiping. I didn't have any, I wasn't preaching that day. I was just going to greet people in the foyer. My wife and I were, we were sort of burdened and broken and busted a little bit, but we were also enjoying what God had done, the fruits of this huge room, lots of people, big stage, lights, whistles, everything. That's all going well. I remember my 15-year-old son at the time, Zach, was 15. He leans over and he said, Daddy says, you need to be thankful, you know, this day. I know it's hard because it's your last Sunday in this church, but, but God used you to impact these people's lives. And I said, you're right, Zach. And then he looks at me and he says, Dad, at 15, let's do it again. (laughs) I'm like, son, 20 years of my life to build a church to this kind of strength on this kind of property, this kind of facility, with this kind of mission thing going on. I'm like, Zach, you don't know what it took to get to where this church is at. And then he said something to me that has gripped my heart ever since. He says, yeah, Dad, but you didn't get to do it with me. You see, they were young little kids when we started that church. Yeah, they weren't born, right? (laughs) But young young little kids. Yeah. They were young little kids when we moved from a storefront like this into a property of 75 acres and built this facility that, that God's using powerfully in the community today. I'm like, yeah. Why? Because God wants to do it all over again because lost people matter to God. And I tell you what, I studied a lot in earlier years. And God said, go back to school. I went back to school to finish the degree at Fuller, which I'm still working on. (laughs) But he gripped my heart all over again with the need to be missional. Some of you remember when I first came three years ago, we did. And some of the thoughts that were flowing through me then was because church is different today than it was 20 years ago. It's a lot different. I tell you what, Southern California is a lot different than the Bible Belt. (laughs) There's a lot of lostness. There's a lot of brokenness. I mean, it's great to see the kids in service today. I tell you what, I was going through some things. Joe and I were talking this last week about some situations that he's exposed to in the ministry with students and things. And I just, there's broken families all over the place. And they need to not only know Christ, they need to be fully alive in Christ and participate in what God's doing. Because there's a lot of people just drifting. Drifting. 
heard this last week, the only fish that drift downstream are dead ones. And that's why we drift, because we're dead. And so God brings me to Southern California, Melissa and I, three years ago, after more time of waiting and planning and preparation. But I chose to get serious with God and not just let the season go by. How about you? Have you drifted? God break on your heart something that you're... You know the what, but you never allowed yourself to get impassioned with the why. Maybe maybe it's just starting an outreach to people that uh, are like you. Maybe it's just you know coming back and seeing God reorder your household in a play that's place that's God honoring. Maybe you think your marriage is way past any kind of hope you ever had for it, but God says no. There's a dream. God takes our broken dreams and He uses them. He rebuilds. He restores. He renews. We're at the beginning of 2017. What is he doing in your life? Where does he want you to go? The prayer of Nehemiah is an incredible prayer. Then I said, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of unfailing love with those who love him and obey his commands, listen to my prayer. Look down and see me praying night and day for your people Israel. Does that start out like a wimpy prayer? Listen to my prayer, God. I'm a gentleman. I'm a lady. I don't want to impose on God. God wants you in his face. Not pestering him, but pleading with him. He has called you into his boardroom, the decision-making of the universe, and he wants to see you take a hold and do something because Christ's followers do something with the brokenness of this world, with the brokenness of the homes, with the brokenness in your workplace, and you are there to do his work. Plead with him. Beg of him. For us as a church, if God's going to call us into a new season, are we praying? Are we pleading with God? Oh, God, use us to do something with the brokenness. The change of administration has, has caused a lot of ways with changes of, of decrees, executive orders, and some of the concern here and there. Well, don't get caught up just watching the television and the politics of everything and just being an admired. If something breaks on your heart to do something about refugees, then do something about refugees. If God breaks on your heart to do something about the racial tensions in this, this country that we have, then do something about that. What is it? I, I'm, you know, I've got a lot of responsibilities, Carrie. Don't beat me up this morning. I'm doing the best I can trying to make ends meet. I understand that. We all are. But I'm telling you, in the midst of stuff, God's going to call some of us out to do some radical things. Nehemiah, what we say was the culprit was the one of the worst things that can hinder us from seeing the walls rebuilt, something done in our life? Comfort. You have to step outside of your comfort and step forward to initiate and see something happen. And this prayer starts out in an incredible way. Getting serious with God. You know, we're all different ones of us on Facebook and yay nay for Facebook, but every now and then I capture something I'm glad that I, my heart's endeared towards and this week there was posted from the church that I came from. A team of people was going to Kenya, Africa to be engaged in uh, a short-term mission thing to help uh, rescue 
uh, young girls out of the human trafficking world. And I thought to myself, now where did that come from? Why, why do they do that at my church? Well, I know why they did that at my church, because I invited a guy in that had his heart broken for human trafficking. This is a picture. This is Carl and Lori Rolston. Carl Rolston was an insurance business guy, very successful around the Akron, Ohio area, I believe. And he went on a short-term trip with some Christian Missionary Alliance people to Cambodia. And in Cambodia, he heard about the human trafficking aspect that was happening. And in particular, he heard the story of a 16-year-old who had been thrown into the uh, human trafficking and uh, had died three months later of AIDS. But then the missionary who told that story then told the story of a 12-year-old by the name of New in HU. And New had come to place her commitment to Christ at the age of 12. And New had to become public with her decision to follow Christ. And her family situation was not good. And there was a family member of Buddhist origin that ended up selling her into the human trafficking world. And 15 times to 15 times a day, she was abused. Carl heard that story. And as he's sitting there hearing this story, God speaks to him and says, Remember me. The missionary didn't know where New was. This was in December of 2003. In 2004, he began to take on that burden of saying, what would you have me do, God, about the human trafficking situation around the world? And in that part of Southeast Asia, it's pretty bad. God led him to start a ministry. He traveled to Cambodia six times trying to find new. And finally, in 2006, I believe it was, he found her. He found her, and he and his wife, Lori, began to encourage her and minister to her. They became a father and a mother to her. And, they be, and she became, New became, the first employee of the Remember New Ministry. Isn't that incredible? And this last May, Carl and Lori, Carl had the opportunity to do the wedding for New. Of her own choice to a godly man, a godly life. But it's not just New that's being impacted through Carl being obedient to the burden that was placed on him young girls and boys even, in all kinds of sectors of the world. Maybe I'll have uh, Carl and Lori come here sometime and have New maybe even share her part of the story. Beautiful girl, isn't she? Beautiful young lady, New. And there are some of my friends on Facebook posting that they were engaged in this ministry over there, and I know some of them are involved in doing the same thing back in Indianapolis area. But I think to myself, how did that come to be? It's because somebody got serious with God when he broke in something in the spirit and he responded to it and he said, I need to remember now. And he started to do something about it, but there was this planning, this preparation time. Carl actually, after that December uh, 2003 word that was spoken to him, he finished his theological degree. He began writing a paper, starting this kind of ministry, sort of some same thing I guess I did. I didn't really fully know that until recently. And, and God prepares his heart. And then his ministry starts two years later, and then a year after that, he finds new. How about you? 
drifted away in the waiting season, not realizing what God was doing in your heart to build a burden to reach the people around you. Then I said, Lord, God of heaven, great and awesome God, who keeps this covenant of unfailing love with those who love him and obey his commands, listen to my prayer. Just bathe yourself in how he's praying. Look down and see me praying night and day for your people. I confess that we have sinned against you. Yes, even my own family and I have sinned. We have sinned terribly by not obeying the commands, decrees, and regulations that you gave us through your servant Moses. Please remember what you told your servant Moses. You're unfaithful to me. I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands and live by them, even then, even then, even if you are exiled to the ends of the earth, I'll bring you back to the place I have chosen for my name to be honored. Get serious with God. Connect with God's story. Waiting time is not wasted time. Remember Luke Skywalker in the Empire Strikes Back? Yoda's doing the training with him, right? And, and he hears about his services needed and needs to help. But his uh, training for being a Jedi Knight is not completed. And so he says to Yoda, he says, well, I need to do something. He says, I need to leave and go help them. And uh, Yoda says, you can leave. You can help if you must. But if you leave, all that which they've fought and suffered for will be destroyed. Guess what happens? He leaves. How's it turn out? Great! It turns out great! But here's the moral of that story. That happened in a galaxy far, far <laughs> away. In this galaxy, you can help if you must. You can jump too quickly, and God has not done the preparation in your heart. This prayer shows preparation in the heart of Nehemiah. Preparation for his own soul, getting serious with God, and then he does something strategic, and I encourage us to do this. This is huge to me as I look around and see what's needed in our world today. He connects with God's story. He doesn't point the finger and say, they got a problem back there in Jerusalem. I can't believe they've allowed that to happen. They built the temple, but they didn't secure the walls. They, they, they. He didn't point fingers with they. He moved from they to we to an us or to a me. We have sinned. We have brought this on. We have been disobedient. He never lived in Jerusalem, friends. That's history to him through his lineage. But he identifies as a chosen, as part of God's chosen people, who he is as a love child of God, as, as a, a nation that was to be blessed in order to what? Be a blessing. He identifies with the bigger God picture. And you, in your burden... It needs to go beyond just you and what you're doing and helping here. It needs to be seen as we. And this is where the church comes in, guys. Are we doing what God's called us to do? And it starts with a me. God, I've sinned. 
Have I neglected? Have I drifted? Have I just neglected the training? Because I I thought that waiting time was just wasted time. And I went to action and I shouldn't have. Have I done the preparation in my soul for what's needed? You must connect with what God's doing in the grander, bigger picture of all things. And that's the beauty of what he shares there. So get serious with God. Connect with God's story. He finishes the prayer by saying, The people you rescued by your great power and strong hand are your servants. Oh, Lord, please hear my prayer. Listen to the prayers of those of us now who delight in honoring you. Please grant me success today by making the king favorable to me. Put it into his heart to be kind to me. Get serious. Connect with God. And the last thing I want to state is this. Believe in God's present placement of where you're at. Nehemiah then finishes first chapter. It says, in those days, I was the king's cupbearer. He'd poured out his soul in seriousness of God. He connected with the bigger God story. He knew that he was in preparation for all that God had for him. And then he was pulling together an identity of a we to get to do this. But then he owned up to where he was at. He didn't say, I'm in the wrong country with the wrong boss with the wrong job. He identified exactly with where he was at. Now when you move from the what to the why that gives you the conviction, cultivating conviction is my main emphasis today, you need to move to the next question. And the next question is usually what kills the whole thing. And that's the question of how. How's this going to happen? Remember Moses being spoken to? You need to set my people free out of Egypt. And it was like, how? All the plagues, everything. that He had no idea how God was going to do it. He didn't have any idea. What about Mary? The angel comes to Mary and says, I am going to birth the Messiah through you. And she's like, what? I'm a virgin. And she asked the question, well, how? Why? Can she have hope? Because God is able. He is almighty. The feeding of the 5,000 on the hill. Jesus, and they're like, well, how are we going to do this? You move from the what to the why to the how, and you, you just don't see that it's possible, so you just quit. You leave it there. But what you have to do is just own up to your present moment, where you're at, what you're doing. And God begins to work from there. And the how is is sort of incredible how he starts to unpack the wow. And that's going to be for next week. Okay. But I want to close with this. Because I know the waiting thing and the training thing, the preparation thing, The building of the why, the burden there, before you start to step into the how, is such a difficult place to be. When I was on the track in the fall of 2012, and I didn't know if I even wanted to get up and do it again, or do whatever again for God. He's so gracious to you as you pray and as you seek Him. 
he brought to me a poem. And um, this poem is actually a hymn, I believe. And it goes like this. This brought so much solace to my soul. And it ties in with this whole thing of believing in God's present placement. It says this, Live out thy life within me, O Jesus, King of kings. Be thou thyself the answer to all my questionings. Live out thy life within me, and all things have thy way. I, thy transparent medium, for thy glory to display. This temple has been yielded and purified of sin. Let thy Shekinah glory now flash forth from within. And all the earth keeps silence. This body henceforth to be thy silent, docile servant, moved only but as by thee. My members every moment held subject to thy call, ready to have thee use them or not be used at all. Held without restless longing or strain or stress or fret or chaffings at thy dealings or thoughts of vain regret, but restful, calm, and pliant, from bend and bias free, permitting thee to settle when thou hast need of me. Live out thy life within me, O Jesus, King of kings. Be thou the glorious answer to all my questionings. If you're living life in a place of questioning, your waiting time is not wasted time. Get serious with God. Connect with his bigger story. And believe that he's placed you where you're at right now for a reason. What God originates, God orchestrates. And that's what we're going to step into seeing, the how, next week. Joe, would you come? I'm going to ask, we're going to close out with that creed song. The belief of who we are in Christ. As we close with this song, I want you just to offer your life back to God. If you're at a place that you need to surrender afresh to him about something that you've been pushing to the side or drifting from, then even in a simple affirmation of a song like this, you can make that recommitment. The ushers are going to come to receive your connection cards as well as God's tithes and offerings to do his work. So receive them, but let's sing this song as a declaration, as a prayer declaration of what we believe because God is working in you and through you. Will you pray with me?